folks, welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. This week's guest is Lancaster comedian Jared McCallie. It's a really fun guy. We actually we met at a show, and you'll hear all about it. But we met at a show in December that Sarah Cartwright put on, and he reminded me. So it's kind of the the wake up call I needed. But we talked a lot about Seinfeld, his start in comedy, a little bit about baseball. It's a fun, dude. Check him out if you get a chance. Thank you guys so much for listening. Take care of yourselves. I'll talk to you next week. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in. Jared McKaylee. <laughs> Me- McCallie. God damn it. I asked you like two seconds ago. How often do you have to correct people with that? It's literally been my like whole life. Have you thought about changing it? My stepmother, I remember, walked at graduation and she said she like told them in the office like eight times. And then she went up and it was they were like, Cheryl Michael. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> so is it Italian or Irish? It's Italian. It's Sicilian, actually. It, uh, my dad came here in the 60s. How Italian are you? Uh, he's gotten progressively more white over the years, but uh, I meant nationality-wise. Oh, my yeah, my dad's my dad's full. He came here with my grandfather in the '60s, and my mom is like, uh, you know, I don't. I think white people are so whitewashed now they don't know what they are. They're like either you're Irish, German, or whatever. You know what I mean? They never really talk. They were just white people. I'm 25 percent Italian, but I always that's the only nationality I'll admit to. <laughs> like I'm, I'm 50% Austrian and 25 English. But if anybody says, oh, Mike Peters, what are you? Italian. Yeah. And they're like, prove it. Yeah. Everybody wants to be it. It's, it's, it's real. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good thing. I don't know. It's kind of funny because usually try to figure out when I met this person I'm interviewing. Uh-huh. And uh, you and I go a long way back. I think three weeks. <laughs> no, before that. Oh, that's right. We, yeah. That's right. We we did a show together. Yeah, yeah. The my the, fault. Um, the girl who was uh, <laughs> yeah. she was hit by a car and then flown up into the air and got hit by another car and then got COVID or something. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I know. It was the saddest story. What town was that? Was that in Pottsville? Yeah, it was um, okay. Lucky Ten or something. It was like the most towny bar I've ever been to. Yeah, we walk in the bar and you could go to the right or you can go to the left. The left was just drinking. Yeah. And the right was where this benefit was. There are these two pool tables and then like a, a buffet on the back corner. I hosted that show and I grabbed the mic, said hi, and somebody broke for pool. <laughs> <laughs> and on the mic, I'm like, I'm like, this is not what you want to happen. Yeah. Walking into that show. Or, so Joey and I parked and um, we walked into that show and he was like, this has got to be the wrong place there's no way and like he's yeah. you've met joe he's like a ball of nerves yeah, yeah yeah and uh he's like a ball of nerves and the entire time he's like this is the wrong place something's going on you know we got bad directions or something and then we found out it was really the place the guy came up he's like hey you're the entertainment right <laughs> we're like yeah i guess we're the only like guys if they did that who else would have been there for this lady you know what i right. mean so we were the only outsiders yeah it was really funny because we were looking for um I forget what we were looking for. Cigarettes. And um, the lady goes, don't go to the Giant. They don't have them there anymore. They stopped selling them at Giant. Can you believe that? And I was like, oh, that's crazy, you know? So we asked some guy where to go. And we walked like a mile and a half down the road to a bar that was had one patron inside of it. And we were like, they told us you have a cigarette machine. And she's like, we took it out in 1994. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You had a good set, right? So you went up, Sarah went up, and I was like, everybody's not getting anything. People are more into this like cream cheese and uh, lemon yeah. than they are the comedy. So I went to the the bar, not the bartender, the um the DJ, and I was like, hey, do you have only the Lonely by Roy Orbison? And he was like, yeah, sure. I was like, when I say play it, play it. And he said, yeah. And I just started, and I said, I want to show you what it feels like to be in this room and be a comedian right now. I was like, hit it, Tony. His name wasn't even Tony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony climbed under the pool table and just started belting it out. And then uh, halfway through, then I got up and just did some of my set. I feel like it helped. I think I said that to uh, Ellen Doyle. She was there. Yeah. And she was like, she's like, yeah. She was like, I don't know what was going to put energy into that room. Like, oh, No, I remember there was a woman there. She sat there with like 
crossed arms and daggers in her eyes. And she came up, I think it was to Ellen, and she's like, nobody here was funny at all. You were all right. <laughs> like, thanks. Thanks for coming. We really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, Mike. That was by far the most towny bar I'd done a show at. And I remember after that doing a show, another show that Sarah set up. And I remember going into it like, all right, here we go again. But it was perfect. But I feel like that was like a one off of like how bad it really was. I always think the benefit shows are fun. Like they're well-meaning. But ultimately, if you're going to have a disaster of a show, it's probably going to be a benefit. Yeah. And that one was the weirdest one because no one could tell anybody (laughs) what, what had happened. Yeah. No, and like I, I talked to Sarah Cartwright. Uh, I got on the show because I was just looking for. Uh, I I wanted to get to a hundred shows that year, okay. and she helped me out. That was the hundredth one. So I didn't care what the benefit was. Yeah, I had no idea what to expect. But I walked in there. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember Pennsylvania. Yeah, this is exactly what I should have expected. I remember there was a point in the show where they did a raffle. Do you remember that? Yeah, and they were like. All right, can I get two dollars for this Budweiser beer cooler? <laughs> I was like, "Wow, this girl has not made an impression on many people." If someone's not putting up two dollars for this thing, no, I walked out of there, and one of the comedians—he uh, was giving away his chocolates. Remember? Oh yeah, yeah. So like, we walked out. I grabbed like a like chocolate covered pretzels and something else. We walked out of the bar, and I said to Ellen and Brian Walsh, "This is the best part of this show." The most I'm going to get out of this is chocolate-covered pretzels. Yeah. And I'm happy with it. Uh, and I think Joey, too, was like said something. He was like, do you think we're going to get paid? <laughs> I remember no. the, the most nonverbal response to that. Like, just like, what? Are you serious? <laughs> Joey means well. Yeah, yeah it was awesome. When did you start doing comedy? Uh, I think I'm like under three years now. I started at the Lizard Lounge, which is the Chameleon Club. I went to a therapist for a long time and we would just, you know, obviously talk about problems like everybody. And she was like, what are two things that you've never done that you want to do? And one was, um, I had read this whole thing about the people who hopped on trains, you know what I'm talking about? Like the crust punks. And I was like, dude, they just hop on a train, they go somewhere and they come back. And I don't know, it just seemed like such a cool thing to try to do. And then I was like, or stand up comedy. And she's like, well, as a medical professional, I'll tell you, <laughs> please just try stand up comedy. I think I wrote for about three months until I got up the nerve. And then I walked in and I uh, gave it a try. Yeah. And then ever since, it just like, it's, it was like the bug. Is it pretty much a supportive scene down there? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I've, I haven't even been in that long. And it was like, there's so many people that, like, obviously, you know, in, in being in comedy long enough that yeah. people drop off things like that. Like people come and go, you see someone for three weeks and then they give it up or whatever. So the people who stay, I remember after my first set, Audrey Marsh, uh, you probably know her. Uh, Very good. Yeah. I worked with her yeah. before. She's one of my, she's one of my really good friends. I'll say even outside of comedy, like we, you know, we won't talk about comedy. We'll text or call. She came up to me, I think the first set and was like, Hey, those jokes were like written jokes. It was nice to hear you know, like you can work on them, I think was the was the the thing behind it. But it was like, you put time and effort into writing a joke. And it seems like you like comedy, please come back. And then please came back became, hey, I'm gonna she was like, hey, I'm gonna go to this mic. And I didn't even really understand how it worked. You know what I mean? Like, unless she would have told me that I probably would just still be going to the lizard lounge, you know, like, and then, you know, you find out about things through Facebook and things like that. So yeah, it was just like, I got really lucky where someone actually um, thought I was cool or something like that. You know what I mean? And was like, Hey, I can help you. And we went over jokes and stuff like that. And it was good because she's the kind of person too, that it's like, obviously in comedy now, there's a lot of things you can and cannot say. And when you first start, you just want anybody to laugh at anything. You know what I mean? So you're like, I'll write this joke about a uh, rape and everyone, you know, and like, you know, I've heard rape jokes that are funny. I've heard rape jokes that are awful, you know, but being under her wing was kind of nice. I got to like, I got like the firsthand knowledge right away of like what to say, what not to say. I booked Audrey for a December show in 2017. Mm-hmm. I think I struggle with the years. I know the dates, but I struggle with the years. I'm bad at that. It, it's, yeah. it's really weird, but I worked with her and just fantastic. You know, she's four hours away from Binghamton. So oh, uh, she came up. Yeah, she came up here, and uh, she was great. She headlined a women's show, and she's like, I'll drive anywhere for a women's show. And, you know, I put her up for the night, 
So we stayed up until, I don't know, two or three o'clock. It felt like talking about comedy. And then we both got up and talked for like three or four hours again until she finally had to leave and drive four hours home. So I, and I was, I was at a point where I was kind of bummed because like the Binghamton scene is, it was, and still is kind of apathetic. And I'm trying to get people to stay involved and uh, re-inject themselves into the scene. And she was really a, a great sounding board. She's like, just keep it up it, because we go through that too. Yeah, she's like, um, uh, I call her my comedy mom. Like she really, she really helped uh, with all that. And she's so supportive of anybody. It's so crazy because like what, um, if you don't, obviously people are listening to this. This is visual too or just audio? Just audio. Oh, okay. Uh, I turned the lights on <laughs> <laughs> I texted my girlfriend lights. Like, <laughs> but if you don't know, Audrey, Audrey is about four foot nine and uh, been a lesbian since like uh, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. She's like the best person. So you would think that she would have this like strong stance in comedy about what and what not to say. You know what I mean? But like, she really doesn't. She understands jokes and like the way they work and stuff. So like she can talk to anybody and that's her biggest strength to me is like, She'll talk to you about like a fart joke and then talk to you about, you know, how your dad doesn't love you and so, stuff. You know, it's it's really nice. But that's also the nature of the work she does, too. Yeah, I think Audrey is a magical comedian and magical person, mainly because her wife was straight. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. like that's powerful. Yeah, so that's good for her. I'll, I'll listen to whatever she says. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's her joke. I shouldn't burn it, but yeah, it's great. No, it's just a setup of a joke, but sort of. But she just says, uh, my wife was a consummate straight woman for 40 years. <laughs> it's like <laughs> amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we had Audrey and then I can't not I can't let this guy go either. Ryan Meehan, he started that mic like eight years ago, nine years ago or something like that. And the bartender uh, slash like events manager, this guy, Terry Sheets, at the Lizard Lounge, they really like put on for comedy there. Uh, there's another guy, Brandon Gumfer. He's really great, too. But like those three were like the main reason for that. And there's like a, a cast of characters that used to come through there. Like um, Gillis has been there a bunch of times. Like he used to do that, Mike. Shane Gillis? Uh, no, Dave Gillis. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, Shane Gillis. A lot of different people used to go there a bunch. Uh, it's a, It was a good sounding off board for a lot of people. You know, the hard times that uh, guy Brandon Crick, Brandon Crick used to um, host there. Uh, yeah. And uh, there's another, there's like a Denver con guy who moved to Denver who's a comic there. Same place. It's it's pretty crazy that how many people have passed through. And every time I tell people I get my start there, they're like, oh, I did a show there or this or that. And yeah, it's great. Have you done you Reading, Reading Comedy Outlet? No, I haven't okay. I haven't been down there. When I talked to Joy Tepidino, he's like, you got to check this out. Yeah, and... it's just literally like the Opie and Anthony show on stage. You can just, oh, really? Oh, you just, you could go in there and like, I don't know, you could say whatever you want. That's why like most people like that, Mike. It's like, you know, it's great. It's hosted by um uh, this guy named Jesse. He's great. But yeah, it's it's just that like where it's like free range, basically. So do you consider yourself a Philly comedian or no? Uh, now that I've like, I've been, uh, so I lived in Philly for a while. I was doing comedy for a while, got on shows in Philly and stuff. And, uh, I'm just like a Pennsylvania comedian, but at this point now, because of quarantine, I'm here. So, um, I, I do a, a podcast with a Philly guy. A lot of my friends in comedy are Philly people, but yeah, I would, I would consider now I'm going to be here. So it's going to be like, yeah, I'll be a Philly comedian, I guess. But it's, it's, it's more fun, obviously, just because there's such a, range of mics too so i'll host on monday at the lizard lounge and drive down there it's only like an hour and 10 minutes or something like that that here it's like there's a mic every night monday through friday pretty much uh not anymore there was a mic on friday which is such a rare thing like a friday mic but it was great how close are you to baltimore from lancaster it's not too far at all i've done some stuff in baltimore um auto bar and something like that you know yeah. that and then, yeah i used to well, i used to live in baltimore oh okay and, uh, yeah auto bar i saw a band called mustard plug there <laughs> and fake problems so bands like like either you you were a big fan of them in the 90s or you've never heard of them i've heard of that fake problems band somehow through somebody i feel like but uh yeah i had a um, show at the auto bar and then i had some stuff set up until all this happened for down there elizabeth norman has a show too if you know her she's a baltimore comic yeah that seems like a pretty cool scene dan caper capper do you know him no i i didn't do comedy there i was a sports uh, writer Oh, oh, okay, gotcha. Well, I worked, I worked second shift. I lived down in Baltimore for about eight years, and then moved back up to New York. How long have you been doing comedy? About four years. 
Okay. So yeah, it's like it was like uh, I think July thirteenth, two thousand sixteen. Okay. So I would say I'm I'm good at dates, but not on dates. Gotcha. So yeah, it was about four years. So, uh, but I I was a writer, and I came back to New York. It's some stand up, something I always wanted to do. And I was like, fuck it, man, I got to do write something. Mm-hmm. And kind of like what you did, I wrote for a few months, and then my first set was after my grandpa's eulogy. I gave a eulogy for my grandpa, and then that day. I went on stage. So I basically wow. did jokes that I did at the eulogy on stage for stand-up. That's so, awesome. Listen, he had to die so I can get some practice. So <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, the first the first time I accredit myself to doing stand-up comedy was uh, my brother's uh, my brother's wedding. His best man got too drunk to give like his best man speech. And I had written one because my um, sister-in-law was like, yeah, you should write something and say something. So then he gave this bad speech and then I had to go up there and like talk a little bit. And uh, yeah, I just basically wrote these roast jokes for my family. They were awful. Like I, like I said, um, my stepmother's mother is like legally blind. And I was like, hey, if you saw Nan today or if you didn't see Nan today, don't worry. She didn't see you either. You know, like it was, <laughs> it was, uh, my, my brother's girlfriend or now wife used to have like you ever see when someone has like, I don't understand this, they have 19 earrings and then like a nose ring and all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, marriage is really stressful. Brad, don't give your new wife a lot of stress. You know, she needs stress like she needs another hole in the face. And like, <laughs> and but my family was entertained. And that was one of the first things that set me over the edge of being like, oh, this is something I, I did that people enjoyed. Maybe I can do it on a, a scale of for strangers, basically. Was this after you started therapy and told told your therapist that, that or this is way like, before that was like before. And I always had it in my head that it was something I wanted to do. I don't know why I just didn't have the um, like, uh, I don't even know what the word would be, foresight or something like that. So just look something up to see where you could do comedy. But I thought like at that point, I thought you had to be like a comic. And I thought like <laughs> I I really thought that you would be like you'd have to go to a comedy club and be like, hey, I think I'm funny watch me like you get an audition and then they put you on or something i didn't even understand like an open mic existed i didn't know you know you just don't know but mm-hmm. i had no idea that there was such thing as an open mic for comedy yeah and i lived in baltimore and like i'm looking back i think i did see a sign that mm-hmm. said open mic comedy and it was a place like maybe across the street from where i drank yeah and you know so i could have gone there yeah but i had a second shift job and i'm like well i'm not you know, i don't have the time to do that and of course i had the time like could have made time, but I just had no idea what I wanted to chase. So you remember your first one. Do you remember if you like, did they say that you did well after Were people like complimentary or were you? Yeah, there were a lot of nice people in the crowd. Okay. I went with a friend of mine and she's like, she was really supportive, but she was, she was cool. But I gave uh, kind of a eulogy at my grandma's funeral a couple years later. And I, I basically did an impromptu set in front of a hundred people. And they loved it because my grandma just died. Like, yeah. what are they going to do? They're going to hurt my feelings a little more. Yeah. So my first set, I, you know, talked about my grandpa being buried that day. Nobody's going to tell me, Hey man, that sucked. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, so I, I don't know. Like, I don't think I have a good gauge. You of how that a jail free card on that one. Yeah. My second set, I remember doing, doing pretty well, but other comedians said, Hey man, I like how you told that story. Things like that. So my third set tanked. Yeah. So, I didn't get any, I got pats on the back, but no compliments. But, you know, so that's when I knew I kind of like, I was part of the scene. Uh, Yeah. Tanking for the first time, like bombing for the first time, you'll never forget that. Like I, that feeling was like, it's the worst if you, there's a bar there. Cause for someone like me, that's like, I'll go straight into a bottle if, if that happens. And I remember being like, like in a relationship in the time and coming home, they're like, you're wasted. And I was like, I had a bad set. You know, like, like, (laughs) you know. You smell like a bar. Yeah. How'd it go? Yeah. Oh. oh, man. What was your worst set? What's my worst set? Yeah. My worst set. My worst set. You know, that benefit one I thought was going to be my worst, but that's like one of my favorites just because it was yeah. me being like, this is comedy. This is like no one's always paying attention. I remember pretty early on. I don't know if I can pinpoint an exact one, but I would. I remember I started to try to um, write a little bit darker. And I don't think that I'm, I think I'm dark up here, like in my head, but I think when it comes out, like it doesn't work for me. Like I remember writing jokes that were just so awful now that I think about it. Like I remember I did a joke and I said, um, I saw a sign that said that there's 1.1 million people living with AIDS. 
I don't know anybody living with AIDS anymore. And I remember being like, that's funny. Like, that's great. People love that. And then it's like, and then you go up there and some one guy who's the weirdo, who's like basically most likely to shoot up a school at the open mic, like that guy is like, oh yeah, that's great. And you're just like, God damn it. And I fucking suck, you know? Uh, So there was a period where I was less than a year in and like people I knew who were already a year or so in were getting on shows. And I think I tried to change my comedy a little bit for a couple of weeks and just was tanking. And it was just like, it was the worst feeling because it sits with you like till the next day sometimes. Has that ever happened to you where you're like, wake up, oh, yeah. like, God, I'm a piece of shit or whatever, you know, like, so th- I think that was, it was a collective of a couple of times, probably about nine, 10 months into it where I was just trying stuff that was just too off the rails and wasn't me. I think I liked Anthony Jeselnik a good amount at that point. And like that, such a niche comedy. And you know, it's funny because you talk to comedians about who their, you know, inspirations are and stuff like that. And there's a guy, um, I don't know if you know him, his name's Kirk Griffiths. It's great comedy. Yeah. Yeah. But actually I met him on the street in Wilkes-Barre. Oh, wait, Joey there. I feel like Joey. I was was there with Joey. I I just recorded a podcast with Joey. No, Brian Walsh. Mm. We met up with Joey. The three of us are talking and then Kirk comes up. And like Joey's like, hey Kirk, and I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, here? he was in town doing doing a show at Wisecrackers, so he was just putzing around in the city. He was actually going to read in the library where we were recording. Yeah, so it, yeah, so I I met him for like ten minutes. Yeah, he he said the same thing. He like did that for a little bit, like, and it was like it, it didn't work. You know what I mean? One of those jokes will work. You know what I mean? Like something will come out of it, but like when you're trying to like switch up. So you're at nine months and you're like, okay, this joke works. This joke, I got to keep doing these. And then you switch up your whole style. People are going to be like, what the hell is going on here? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's probably my worst. That's, that's definitely my worst. Well, how do you get out of those funks? Oh man. Uh, a lot of, a lot of booze, a lot of cigarettes, I think, <laughs> uh, you know, and, but then also there's that self-loathing that like a lot of people don't see. I feel like comedians always talk about the hang which is like one of the most fun parts of comedy is like just hanging out with your friends or whatever but like there's a there's like a a hang when you start comedy and i feel like you probably got this too where you're like outside of wherever you are and you're talking with friends and you're like i i wrote this what do you think of this i'm like i think that really helps you it's like because at first when you start comedy you're like completely on your own like if you smoke outside or you're inside the bar or wherever you're doing comedy like a mic or a show or something like that I think you get to talk to your friends basically. And that helps me the most. Like where you're like, Oh man, I really fucking bombed in there. And then someone's like, no, nah, it wasn't that bad. It's just like this one joke kind of threw you off track. One of my favorite things in comedy is when someone does a joke and they've done it for so long that you can watch someone mime the joke. So like people know your cadence and the rhythm and stuff like that. And then you're like, well, this sucked and this sucked. And then someone's like, well, you got thrown off here somebody, you know, threw a chair or whatever they did. You know what I mean? Like, has that ever happened to you where that like I'm turning on you, but like a sound happens or like somebody screamed out and then it fucks you up completely? Well, kind of. I oh, I'm sure, but the story I'm thinking about, I did an open mic in Albany and I went up there to record a couple of podcasts. And I'm like, well, I'll stop into a bar and, and do a set in front of people and kind of show them what I have, maybe get booked yeah. there or at least get to know people there. And I don't know what mental problem this guy had. But he was, he was a bigger dude in a chair and, like, obviously got problems. Oh, okay. But he was making sounds the entire time I'm on stage. And, like, you can't just say, hey, asshole, stop. Yeah. Like, you, you can't do it. So, like, I'm in the middle of being polite and everybody there, I got a discount. Like, they knew what was going on. Yeah. Like, and the set went well. It went way better after they left. I'm thinking it's his mom or yeah. his sister or something like that. They left and I finished strongly and people did come up to me like, dude, that sucks. <laughs> like yeah. they knew. So oh, sometimes you just can't help it. Yeah. Uh, one time I was at a Phillies game, like the six Phillies games I've ever gone to in my life. And it was terrible uh, team. Terrible <laughs> team. It was the um, whatever dollar dog night or something like that. This is the year after they won the World Series. And um, this guy just won't shut up and won't shut up. And he keeps going. And like he's like telling um uh cliff cliff lee if you remember him oh yeah i remember him he's like oh you're a piece of shit you suck you 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 jumped the shark you you know blah blah blah. like all this crap he won two cy young i was like he won the cy young (laughs) 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 like you know 
and he keeps going. And I don't know what it is like my vigilante moment or something like that. It's like where I stood up and I turned around and I was like, everybody paid to be here to see this team. No one paid to hear you speak. If you want that, like get on a stage or something, you know, I don't know, like I'm just some like a, you know, white mom, like, you know, yeah, like, like not my kids or something. And um, he leaves, just got up and left and everyone started clapping. It was like my, you know, that moment on curb when Larry David beat the guy with the baguette or whatever, but yeah. uh, people are clapping and his mom goes, I'll have, you know, he has Asperger's. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, are you, are you joking me? He just put together the most cohesive shit talking about the Cy Young award and all this stuff. And now we have to give him like this fucking, you know what I mean? Like, and then she left too. And, uh, yeah, I'm baseball bad luck because, uh, you lived in Baltimore. I was a huge Cal Ripken fan when I was a kid. Yeah. Who wasn't? And I, I begged my dad to go see Cal Ripken play baseball. I didn't even care about the Orioles. I just like the, I just like shortstop. I just liked him, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, we go and then the, we go, we're sitting there and I'm like so excited. And the announcer comes on and he goes, attention Orioles fans today, uh, the Iron Man will be ending his streak. And he didn't play. You saw Ryan Miner. <laughs> yeah, he didn't, he didn't play ever since then. I feel like I'm baseball bad luck, man. Holy shit! You saw you saw the Ryan Miner game. Yeah, I had the stub, and my uncle—I uh, have a bit about it. Well, this is like a line, but my uncle and my aunt were flea market people. They made like almost all their money off flea market, but they sold baseball cards. And I had the stub for that day, and there was like a retirement or uh, Iron Man streak ending card, and I sold the stub to a guy for twenty-five dollars. Are you kidding me? Yeah, now I'm bummed I don't have that because it was such a piece of like history. Like I was a little kid and I sold it and he mounted it and made a thing and somebody probably bought it for like a hundred bucks. But um, yeah, I sold the stuff. I had it still. Holy shit. Now I was at that game. Oh. And we went and my dad was so upset. Like he was like, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. Then he got tickets for like a couple weeks later. Didn't play again. Oh. <laughs> out again. Never saw him play. I don't understand what my fascination with him was because like I was like a Phillies fan, but still loved Cal Ripken. So and then I just stopped watching baseball and I just became a basketball fan then. So that was it. Well, I mean, Corey Matthews, you know, he was a Phillies <laughs> fan and, you know, his grandma, he waited for her to take him to an Orioles game and she never came. But he wanted to go and see Cal Ripken. Yeah. You're not that far off. I also love that that show, like, it was like every kid would hang out with their principal across a fence in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to do that, like, at all. Like, How old are you? Me, I'm in my uh, young 30s. See, I'm 37, and uh, that's exactly what we did with our teachers and principals. Oh, okay. Yeah, like when I get married, my principal is going to be my best man because that's just how it works. It's Mr. Belding, right? That would be your time. I wish. Dennis Haskins, that's what we call him. But uh, I have his email address. <laughs> he was just in something, and it was so funny because of the short amount of time he was in this. It was the show on Showtime called I'm Dying Up Here. Have you heard of it? Yeah, I watched it. I didn't see him in it, though. I don't remember it, at least. He's in one scene, maybe two scenes. He plays a priest, and then that guy, Adam Proto, who's, like, supposed to be the next prior or whatever in the show, he, like, gets money for jerking off in front of people. And then the he, like, goes into, like, the <laughs> into like where the priest is on his deathbed and, like, whips it out. And then Mr. Belding is one of the priests, and he's like, go ahead, Adam. <laughs> Swear to God. <laughs> No, I think I do remember that. Yeah, I was I was like, this is his roles. <laughs> well, the only other things I remember him, he's in like the first season of It's Always Sunny when Charlie gets molested. Oh, okay, yeah. All right. The McBoyle brothers, they accuse Belding of uh, molesting them. Wow, he's just, he's typecast now. He's yeah, just- basically. Have you ever seen A Million, A Million Ways to Die in the West? Mm-mm. It's good. It's a funny movie, it's Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, it's really funny. And, but oh, okay. Belding is in there. And I think he runs, yeah, I don't know what game he runs, but he's one of the, I think he dies too, because oh. almost everybody dies in that movie. Okay. But he's got a very short scene in it. I mean, it's, I guess it's a cameo, Yeah. but I almost feel bad for those guys because no matter what he does, he's going to be Mr. Belding. Yeah. That is a funny thing that happens to a lot of people. I don't know if it's funny for them, but it's funny for us, but like, like Jason Alexander, someone told me he did like a lot of stuff like on Broadway and things oh, like yeah. that. But like 
I don't think I could watch a production of Glengarry Glenn Ross and like did George is it, you know, like no. that's, yeah, that's, that's gotta be bad. But I actually just watched pretty woman for the first time ever. Great movie. He's in it. He's like a jerk in that movie. That's his big break. That and the McDLT sandwich commercial from McDonald's. But you know. yeah, yeah, because then Kramer is in obviously UHF, but he's in Problem Child. Yep. And then Julie Louis Dreyfus, who's the only one I will say by name. I guess what I don't know why I didn't say. <laughs> All right, I said Kramer's name, Michael Richards. Yeah, but um, yeah. Julie Louis Dreyfus, she's in Christmas Vacation. Yep. Michael Richards was in Airheads as well. Oh yeah, he was. so that was, was after Seinfeld, though. Or not after. No, that was like no, it was during. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he's the one crawling through the vents. Yeah, yeah. He's. Uh, I remember that movie played on Comedy Central like every Saturday. Yeah, like if you had Comedy Central, you saw Airheads. You had to yeah. see it. I always remember from Airheads. I think like that's how I found out about sarcasm. Like <laughs> when Joe Montana is like the Lone Ranger. And I was like, oh, I get it now. Like, like what this is. Yeah. He's another one, Joe Montana. Whenever I see him or hear him, I think Fat Tony from The Simpsons. Oh, yeah, he is Fat Tony. That's right. Yeah, yeah I'm trying to think. So, somebody once told me outside of a comedy show, they were like, you look like a Joe, young Joe Montana. <laughs> I was like, I think I'm taking that as a compliment. But also people have told me I look like Gilbert Godfrey and like James Franco. And I'm like, the, everybody's all over the map with this thing. So. Uh, the Gilbert Gottfried, I'd be really worried about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A funny guy, but uh, yeah. I don't know, man. Have you ever seen his stand-up live? Yeah, I opened for him. Oh, what? Is his voice different? Someone said his voice when he's talking to you is very different. Yeah. I'll go into it a different time. Okay. Uh, I don't... No, fuck it. All right. So the producer of the show was very possessive of Gilbert Gottfried. Ah. Probably more so than he needed to be, gotcha. but he wrote us, like... He had five fucking openers, which was stupid. Yeah. And then the producer also opened for him. He had six openers. <laughs> it, it was dumb. It was essentially a bringer show, but, you know, he didn't tell you it was a bringer show until yeah. you accepted it. So he's like, oh, yeah, you'll get paid 10% of everything you sell. And we're like, oh. oh. And I'm like, I'm 90 minutes away, dude. Like, I'm not bringing people. Yeah. So I was like, he's going to rescind this offer. Absolutely. But about two days before the show... He sends this kind of like asshole type message. Like, I mean, must have been like, I don't know, the equivalent of four pages of rules. Okay. Don't drink, don't smoke in the green room, which I'm like, fine. And it was worded like, you must not come within six feet of Gilbert Godfrey. And this is way before. Wow. You weren't allowed to talk to him before the show. Introduce yourselves. He will talk to you if he wants. It was just really weird. And it wasn't yeah. something that Gilbert, you know. Yeah. He doesn't seem like an asshole. Yeah, no. So it was it was this guy kind of overstepping, letting us know that he's the boss. Yeah. Like I said, it was it was five other people. He wanted everybody to write when you've read all these rules, this is how we wrote it. When you've read all these rules, I need you to write confirmed so I know you understand. So I'm like I'm like, well, is fist yourself the same thing? Because that's where yeah. I wanted to go with this. But I'm like, no, do it for the fucking credit. You've yeah. you've lasted this long, don't fuck it up now. So I wrote yeah. confirm. Another comedian wrote, I got it, or something like that. The producer writes, I need you to write confirmed. And I'm like, what a fucking douchebag. Yeah, what, what's the, I need you to get a notary public involved. <laughs> like, Basically. Dude, geez. I made $5 on that show because I sold two tickets. I made $5. Wow. This dude is walking around with a wad of cash. Mm. And I said, can I get paid? And he goes, well, you have to fill out a tax form. <laughs> Who opened the show? Bernie Madoff? Who is this? Yeah, basically. So part of me would have been like, hey, keep my $5, whatever. Yeah. But after what this guy put us through, I said, cool, send me the tax form. So I filled it out. I waited nine weeks, I think. I got paid $4.60. And I'm like, good. Fuck him. I had a good set. So I'm fine with it. Oh, that's amazing. We talked to Gilbert for like two seconds afterward. I got a picture with him. And I shook his hand, said hi. He was nice, but all he had to say was hi and bye. So, yeah. uh, but I, I assume he's a nice guy. Yeah. And I don't know. I and I've heard that his voice is different because if it was the same as on stage, he would have lost his voice years ago. Yeah, I had a friend who opened for him as well and said that um, it was like this place that was barely a club. It, I don't know, but basically the the gist of it is like I, I'm not going to bore you with it, but the gist of it was that they gave Gilbert Godfrey his food. 
and he looked at it and he was like, and just slid it, like didn't even eat it, just <laughs> slid it over. Like that was it. But yeah. And then he said that like the show started and he got, a, I don't know, it's his story, but it was just funny that Gilbert Godfrey just like scoffed at the food. <laughs> So I was like, when you said that, I was like, I wonder what he really is like. But he said he was super nice to him. I'm sure he's nice. Yeah. Well, okay. So like, like I remember seeing Gilbert Gottfried in Problem Child, mm-hmm. and I was surprised that like years later I figured out he's a stand-up comedian. Yeah. But have you ever had that? Like, like you're like, oh wow, that I guy know. does stand-up. Yeah, that's it's crazy too because I was just listening to a thing and they were saying about how like in the '80s the goal for a stand-up was to have. Um, to have a TV show, basically. So then if you look at all the people that were successful with TV shows who were stand-ups, is because that's the time that they came from, like Romano, Seinfeld. Yeah. Tim Allen. Then, yeah, Tim Allen. And then um, Roseanne, Drew Carey. Yeah, uh, Chappelle tried like eight pilots, apparently. Like Neil Brennan has talked about that. They had like, I remember there was a show called Buddies, because like I like looked it up on Wikipedia or something like that. It was like him and Jim Brewer or something. <laughs> you know, so it's like, yeah, and then uh, oh, you, so you know what? You know, uh, did you ever watch Home Improvement? Yeah. Okay, so Jim Brewer and Chappelle are on an episode together. Really? Yeah. That's the plug for the show. It probably was. It was probably okay. it was probably pitched to ABC, and they wanted to see the chemistry on stage. Oh, that make yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I watched. I don't remember a single episode of Home Improvement, but I've definitely spent hours watching it. I think Home Improvement, and I haven't seen Modern Family or really a lot of things today, but I think Home Improvement is the last family sitcom where your whole family could sit around and not be embarrassed to watch. Yeah. It's not all sex or jokes that kids won't understand, but it's really more or less wholesome. Yeah. And it's funny how much physical comedy was in that show, too. Oh, yeah. It was like basically like... He was like Bugs Bunny 90% of the time and then Daffy Duck like 10% of the time. He was just getting yeah. electrocuted and stuff. Like, yeah. I'm trying to think of who that would be that I was like, he does stand up because it couldn't be Seinfeld because it's obviously right in the beginning. Yeah. Shoot, man. Maybe, maybe Romano. Maybe like didn't know Ray Romano was a stand up and then knew about Everybody's Loves Raymond and then got into like, I used to watch a lot of Comedy Central when I was a kid. My parents were like, the further away from them, like we were, so it was like we had TVs in our room, really. Yeah. So it was like, you know, the evolution of the like, okay, we have this TV in the living room, and now it's two years later, and that TV is like in the downstairs living room, and then that TV is in my brother's room because he's old enough now. Like that's where, like, so just me watching like a <laughs> me watching TV, like Comedy Central, on one of those TVs that had like a VHS recorder too, or a VHS player. Like, yeah. Uh, so yeah, definitely Romano, I think would be. And then I was blown away by Romano too. Like, cause I never really, I was always a big Seinfeld guy. And then when I watched Romano, I was like, man, this guy is actually really good. Yeah. I just watched his new special and that's really interesting how he did it. Yeah. Have you seen it all? No, I haven't watched it. I should watch it. It is also hard to sit through an hour sometimes like of a special. This one, you can break it up in half because it's two specials. Oh, okay. So yeah, he, what he does is I think he starts out at the cellar Well, he does two spots at cellar locations so he does one set at one place does like 25 minutes and then walks to another spot and then does another set it's really interesting i like that i like that a lot yeah yeah what did seinfeld kind of did that in comedian where you could see him go to all those different different clubs who was your go-to comedian growing up seinfeld 100 percent. yeah like it's still my favorite still my favorite i have i have newer comedians that i really like and like I, I'm inspired by their aesthetic or whatever you want to call it. Cause I feel like it's dumb to say like, I'm so inspired by them, but it's like their craft and the way that they did something like hones you, you know what I mean? Like you, you get something from it, but Seinfeld for sure. I watched, I watched every episode of the last season with my dad. And, um, I remember the last episode the next day, cause Seinfeld was on a Thursday I think it had the nine nine o'clock time slot. Yep. I actually looked this oh, up wow. the other day because the last episode was recently. And I watched it and I remember being like my dad being like, All right, that's it, go to bed. You know what I mean? I remember laying there as a kid and being like, Oh no, it's over. My dad's never gonna hang out with me again. Yeah. <laughs> I should use that. That's good. Thank you. That's great. Uh, and I remember being on the playground the next day and I was talking to a friend and I was like, um, who else would I have been talking to? I was on a playground. Right. <laughs> The te- one of the teachers was like a big Seinfeld fan and they were like, oh, don't you remember he said at the end, it's only a year because they go to jail for a year. 
And he's like, that means that they're coming back. And I remember this glimmer of hope. And then like every, you know, TV guide or whatever was like, they're not coming back. You know, I'm doing the math. Were you 10 years old, 11 years old? Yeah. Yeah. In 98. I was in fifth grade, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I got to stay up. I don't know what was wrong with me. I just loved the show. Yeah, that's not even, I don't even care about the curfew. Like my parents didn't love me enough to give me a curfew. So I I assumed your parents didn't care for you either. I'm just asking like, did you understand the show at all? I remember understanding the episode. Do you remember when they go to the car dealership? Yeah. Putty's screwing me on this car that's now yellow. (laughs) I, I remember being like enamored with the fact that like they could tell four stories that were so interesting. I remember my mind being blown by that episode. I watched that episode the other day and I remember being like, George is doing this candy thing. Jerry's buying this car. Kramer's all over the road with this guy. Um, to Thelma and Louise. Yeah. And then Elaine is breaking up with Putty for yet again, the like eighth time. Feels like an Arby's night. Yeah. And I remember being like, because I, I, that also bothers me in comedy when people are like, oh my God, I remember the moment I saw it. But I remember that episode and being like, this is what's so cool to me is like, they're telling all these stories. And I remember just being like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like this, I want to watch the show. And then like, I mean, obviously there's jokes I 100% didn't get. Like, I didn't get Mulva. I still don't. Yeah. I, Dolores. Uh, I remember also um, not getting the Today Sponge thing like that, like how it worked and stuff like that. But there was so much in it that was, like, great. Like, the physical comedy, too, of Kramer. Just, I, I think it was, like, there was so much in that show that was very, like, not relatable to a 10-year-old, to a, you know, a 40-year-old man who lived in New York, oh, 40-year-old, like, womanizer who lived in New York. Yeah. But, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. It's my favorite show, too. Yeah. And I think I think uh, the only thing that would have been relatable for a 10-year-old, now it's selective, but it's when Jerry kind of boost his lady friend up so she'd fall asleep. Yeah. So now they could all play with their toys. Yeah. That would be relatable for the kid. Yeah. I think, yeah. <laughs> I think my favorite, most relatable moment from when I was a kid to now, it still sticks with me. And I don't think anybody really remembers it. If you, you said you love the show, you might remember yeah. Elaine's talking and he goes, is this about me? And she goes, no. And he goes, I've lost interest. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think one of my favorite parts of that show is Jerry's complete disinterest in everything not relating to him. Yes. Like, my buddy's now, that's a shame. Yeah. <laughs> that line kills us. Yeah. Oh, uh, the, I had an aunt and uncle. I was, like, close with a cousin growing up, and they were, like, couch potatoes. Like, they sat from, like, six when they ate their dinner to, like, flip the channel so it was, like, whatever was on at this, and then it was Seinfeld and then Jeopardy or Seinfeld and the Wheel of Fortune, whatever one came each way. And I remember being so young and saying to my aunt, I'm sorry, it's the moops, and, like, making her <laughs> laugh at, like, me doing an impression of George, you know? Like, like that. I could do a whole 10 hours on how that show is the greatest thing that ever exists. Do you have a favorite episode? <sighs> oh, my God, there's so many good ones. Um One for one, the car dealership is probably because that was the first time I understood like story structure and like putting something together. Uh, (laughs) Festivus, everybody says Festivus is probably their favorite episode. But like that, you know, when Frank's like, you couldn't smooth a silk sheet if you had a hot date with it. Like, oh, my God. Um, (sighs) A lot. uh, At first, I think what really got me into the show, too, was George's dad, uh, Jerry Stiller, just like. I remember the episode where he wore, uh, he was with Larry David and Larry David was wearing the cape and he's like, it's my lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Don't cast aspersions on everybody who wears a cape. Yeah. Superman wore a cape. <laughs> All right. Except Superman. It's good cape weather. It's breezy. You know, uh, that's also, that holds the, you have no eye for fashion. I have no eye. <laughs> like she, yeah, she's losing it. Um, yeah, I guess in episodes, yeah, car dealership is definitely a favorite, but season seven, six and seven are probably the best, I'd say. I debate it with my friends and like, you know, season four is so fabled because of the contest and the, and the pilot and yeah. all that. But I really think that I think the most enjoyable episodes for me to watch over and over again are the later seasons. Yeah. And even with Larry David not there. Yeah. You know, like Kramer and Darren 
putting that ball of oil out of the window. I mean, like, like that's so perfect. The frog episode. Ketchup and mustard in the same jar. You got an idea. Like, it almost becomes Kramer a little bit too. It's uh, yeah, love that. Yeah, yep. I was thinking too. The episode where Elaine's on the plane too, and she keeps breaking up with Putty. Yeah, I just remember like (laughs) she's like, "What are you gonna do?" He's like, "I just stare." He just stares at the scene. Oh, God. Yeah, I cannot think. Sorry, I'm trying to do this. And I put me on the spot here for a favorite episode. The contest was good. What's the episode where Jerry's on the train and that guy's naked? You remember that one? That's early. That's like season three, maybe. That's the, the subway. Yeah, that one. I really like that one when they're talking and the guy's naked. I thought that was like one of the funniest things. Okay, so going back like full circle that that guy played leon carosi from saved by the bell and he played margo margo kramer's dad on punky brewster wow you got you're like a tv you're like a guy you're a tv guy yeah yeah i'm like i'm like imdb with uh less of a purpose yeah you know you're you're killing it that's awesome i'm i'm like enamored with like anybody who can do that where it's like uh, they know all those people it's like when people do that with records it kind of bothers me like they can name and every album or whatever or every song on it. You know what? I think I figured it out because I was just looking at these two. The gum. Do you remember the gum episode? One. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember all of them. The gum episode and uh, it, it's a perfectly sane food to eat. And Serenity Now. I'd say Serenity Now just because I was a kid and it stuck with me, and I still think it's like the funniest thing. And just the battle of Lloyd Braun and George because there's so much in every character that is truly everybody. You know what I mean? So like someone I was talking to about this, we kind of like broke it down. But if you really think about it, Jerry never really loses. But like on Curb, the reason that Curb is so good is because Larry is like a successful loser. So it's like two different things. There's this cursing in that. And then, oh, my God, I just thought this is my my, my favorite things. When he's like, uh, he goes, oh, don't worry, Jerry, I can spot you the 10 cents. (laughs) (laughs) And um, he goes, no, it's my hand. It's crippled. And he goes, well, I'd, uh, I'd give you a ride, but I've got Carl Farbman here. <laughs> I think that episode's the checks. That's the checks. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's 12 cents. I don't want to correct you, but yeah, they bring back the, um, the pilot. George is showing yep. it to the people. NBC, yep. Nakahama Broadcasting Association. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so good. Where'd you get the oranges? Uh, <laughs> the bowl of oranges. Oh my God. The, the Farbman. He yelled. <laughs> No, my my favorite Festivus episode, yeah. uh, the strike. Well, because I you can't say it now, but I've got a Festivus pole in my house. Oh, okay. And so I love that for sentimental reasons too. Like in my house, I celebrate Festivus every year on really? December twenty third. Every year, wow, for probably a decade, twelve years, something like that. And it used to be, oh, we were in college, so I'm very old. Mm. So yeah, so you have well, shit, sixteen years of that. Yeah, this will be sixteen. So I bought it. And uh, we gather around the festivals pole, and we used to come in from all of our colleges to, to our hometown. Now I'm the only one left. <laughs> so I celebrate Festivus alone. Uh, if I can put a comedy show together, I do that. I'd love to be a part of it. Anything you yeah. do, let me know. Do you do the feats of strength yourself? Eh, <laughs> no, not, not by myself. But we used to air grievances. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I would buy... Uh, I buy gifts for everybody. Right, the airing of grievances—that's what I meant to say. I would buy, I would buy gifts for everybody, and I would send them a card. And in that card, I would have a donation card to the Human Fund. Yeah. So <laughs> I got, I got really into it. So it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I got a lot of problems with you people. And then You're all gonna hear about them. Do you know that guy who, when she's like, um. How'd my horse do? It had to be shot. He had to be shot. Like a yeah. Nobel uh, Prize, or no, he's a, um, a Pulitzer Prize winner. I didn't know that. Yeah, he wrote a book. You can look it up. But yeah, he uh, she talked about it on Comedians and Cars. Yeah, he wrote a book. He had to be shot. That's <laughs> And that's such a good line. Oh. Like, he had to be shot. And, and, and the bloopers are amazing. Yeah, and when he goes out on the porch, oh, bad lighting on the porch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've got, uh, you've got a podcast. So tell us, where did this come from? Basically, in the situation that we're in now, everybody's you know trying to do something. And I mean, Zoom mics are really fun, but like a lot of people aren't into them. But they're, they're like, everybody, 
has been so used to podcasts that it like made sense. One time the guy I do it with, uh, this guy, David, he went live on Instagram for, you know, whatever reason that people do that. And, um, we were talking and he was like, this is really good. We, we could do this. And, um, the joke was that it was going to be called, um, <laughs> um, spaghetti and matzo balls because I'm Italian <laughs> and he's Jewish. And then it just kind of rolled into that, like, we could get a guest, you know what I mean? So now we're doing a guest every episode. I feel like we could do our own episodes, but we're just kind of doing a guest every episode now. And we're trying to keep it, like, kind of centric to, like, the comedians that we know. So we just talk about kind of like this, like how they started. But then it just goes into tangents and funny stories and stuff like that. I, It's really hard to ask somebody, like, we send the questions before, but sometimes questions are so, like... I don't know. Let's say it's like you've heard them a million times or someone like not everybody has a great story in the start of comedy, you know? So yeah, we're, we're just like kind of doing an interview thing and going from there. But one thing that we do that's really cool is um, every time we get a guest, we ask their friends uh, to do a, uh, we start, we write a quote about them and then they can guess who wrote that. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So it, it's like the last one, the lady like blurted it out before the end of the quote, like she knew it. Yeah, so it was, it was great. So it's David Feinberg, right? David Feinberg, yeah. He's a he's How a Philadelphia a couple of years now. Um he's a Philadelphia comedian. He's done a good amount of shows. He actually I think he used to do sketch a bunch and uh improv and then he started working at Helium and that transitioned into um stand up. So he doesn't work at Helium anymore. He's uh works at like I think a Hebrew day school. But um yeah, we just we just get along and he has a background. So my friends are all stand ups. And his friends are stand up slash like improv sketch people more in like the alt scene. So it really works out because like I'm this set, he's that set and we meet both in the middle and his comedy set is great. It's like, he's like a stand up. He's like an old cat skills guy. <laughs> like, you know, so it works out really great. It's awesome. I can't imagine doing a podcast with some, with a co-host. Like I, uh, and it's not even like, like I don't want to share the limelight or anything like that. It's just coordinating the schedules. Yeah. Is that easy for you guys? We've been running it like we were trying to do it Thursdays and now it's like people are going back to work or they're like working from home or whatever. So it's like some people worked out, some people don't. So we've just been doing it like sat- we're going to do like Saturday mornings now and record. Some people like it like if they can like drink a little bit, I think. So that might be hard on a Saturday morning. But um, yeah, coordinating the schedule is fine. It's not too hard, but he's eventually, I think, moving. Uh, so we're going to still do the podcast you know, audio or whatever. And so it works out that way too. So that might be a little bit hard, but he's only moving to Chicago. So it's like an hour difference. Oh, time zone. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, that's, your, your geography is a little fucked yeah, up. Yeah, no, no time zone. Yeah. I think it's an hour difference. Yeah. Have you ever been to the Midwest? Yeah. My buddy, uh, one of my best friends lives in Minnesota and then the other one lives in Ohio. Okay. So yeah, I, I, I haven't spent a whole lot of time there, Yeah. but I asked my buddy, he fucking, I'm glad he doesn't listen to this podcast because I'm going to give him credit now. Uh-huh. But he moved to Minneapolis and I think we were 23, old enough to not ask this question, mm-hmm. but we're talking about how the time difference is going to affect TV or whatever and sports. So I asked him like, so, all right, so you're an hour behind. He goes, yeah. And I legitimately honestly said, well, I won't tell you what happens in the games. He goes, you're fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, that, it, oh man, that is, it is really funny. And it's funny because people still don't understand time zones. I, I used yeah. to live in Arizona and I would call my parents and it would be like nine o'clock. Also, my grandfather for the last like 12 years before he passed, maybe 13 years, moved back to Sicily. So my dad would have to call him. I would call him or he would call me in Arizona and he, it would be like, nine o'clock at night and he'd be like what time is there like five four <laughs> like what are you talking about man like, it's like he just, at noon? He just called the same time it was yeah yeah what's at noon there yeah, like, that's not how this works it's two hours or three hours that's it you know but yeah i think like people still don't understand that so that's kind of yeah delayed sports would be hilarious though if it was before you know that's the y2k thing i mean now it's a 20 year old joke but i thought of it like when I first started, but I was like, people were worried about the world ending on Y2K, but it's like, wouldn't it end in China? If we would have got the news. Yeah. Like, like you run away from it. Like, yeah. no, 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 no. Now we'll learn. Like, hopefully by the time, you yeah. know, LA gets news of it, yeah. like, they're prepared. We would have got the news, you know? <laughs> what are your plans for the podcast? Like, are, are you just releasing them? 
I mean, I've listened to all five of them. Uh-huh. So what I'm a super fan. Uh, it was the one before I knew it existed. <laughs> I, uh, no, <laughs> no wow. my life was way better before I knew about you. Yeah, it makes uh, sense. It's hard for me to say because like, I listened to them back to back to back to back. But I, I enjoy the – you had Chris Freed. Yep. And uh, the last one you released with the woman – uh, Rose Lorado. Yeah. 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 I don't remember any of the names really. Yeah. And Kirk was fun. It was fun to listen to Kirk Griffiths because yeah. I knew him. He wanted to go to sleep too. So that's why he listened to that. Kirk. Very much. He, he's very docile. You yeah. Know, the, the phones are, are right there for me. Plans are just to keep going. And it's like, um, like most people can put their friends on, but it's like, you know, we will do that, but we're just trying to get out of our league a little bit too. Like the comedians we don't really know. So it's like, we're forced to have a good conversation. So as I was saying, it's like the, some of the people that are on are David's friends and some of the people I know. So the Matt and Jackie are a sketch team that I had never seen before or heard about until he told me. And then I looked up their stuff and I was like, okay, I'm going in fresh and asking them questions. He knows them. So it kind of makes sense that way. Yeah. Both of us are like, one is usually fresh and one is kind of a little bit versed in it. But then also we're doing people that like, we scheduled uh, Chip Chantry. Do you know him? Philadelphia comedian. Is great. He's like great, great Philadelphia comedian. Uh, he opens for Todd Glass a bunch. Him and Todd Glass are like really good friends. And we just know him through his comedy. We don't know him like personally, you know? So that's kind of nice too. So it's like someone I've kind of looked up in Philly comedy. So kind of a nice I thing. Do, I do wonder like if Zoom existed before this happened, yeah. but like I didn't know about it. And I wonder how much easier this is going to make scheduling a podcast interview you know, hooking up with comedians, like yeah. for shows, like getting to know people. I wonder if it's going to stay in the, in the mainstream. I mean, yeah, maybe. I mean, Rogan's doing podcasts and he's like social distancing on the podcast. If you, I don't know if you, uh, I, I actually, I listen to like most of the Rogan clips. I don't like, you know, listen every week or whatever. It's like a three hour episode, which is cool that like people listen to a three hour episode. Wow. Dude, you are killing it, man. Like, I'm more, I do not dislike Joe Rogan, it, like, at all. I'm just saying, like, three no, I, I like Joe Rogan. I just, the way my brain works is that if I start listening to it, I'll want to listen to all of it, not all three hours and then 15 hours a week, all the back episodes. So, like, I can't start it. Yeah. But yeah, he's doing it. So I, we'll see how this works. You know, it's, it's awful where we're at. It just sucks that there's no stand up at all. Arizona's opening back up. A friend of ours from the Lizard Lounge who would do the open mic, he uh, goes to school in Arizona. His parents are from Lancaster, and he's been there, and he says it's opening up. So they got a mic next week starting. Is there any plans for Pennsylvania right now? Uh, not that I know of, not that I've heard of, other than like um, my girlfriend, um, she works for the library, and uh, like she is in all these meetings with all these like whatever you want to call them blues and grays these big wigs that like you yeah, know yeah. donate money or sit on the board for the library of philadelphia and they're they're not really opening until like august deep fall they're saying like that they're opening all the branches so i don't i don't think comedy's back until the earliest august i'm hoping for august 1st yeah and yeah i, I produce shows all over the place and i have a lot of work to do because i lost the shows but like i don't want to lose venues i don't want to you know, I promise the comedians that they're going to get the same bookings. So I've got to really bust my ass as soon as we know what can happen. Because basically, I, f- I feel like I'm sitting on a whole lot of work, but I really can't do anything about it. Yeah. And then it's like, is the bar going to want to have it right away? Right. Are you going to have to sit outside? You know what I mean? Like, is there going to be a certain amount of people let, let into the bar kind of deal? But in reality, that might sell tickets, though, too. You might be able to push as, like, tickets for shows more than anything. You know what I mean? So it's like, you ever go to a bar and they're like, we're playing the UFC fight tonight. It's 15 bucks to get in. It's like that, where it's like, sorry. So you have to, like, guarantee them that you're going to sell this many tickets, basically. That always bothered me because I'll have a show for, like, five bucks a ticket. And I'll have five really funny people on the show coming from everywhere. And, you know, we'll get, like, 20 people. And I'm like, okay, that's you know, we had 20 people. That's fine. I worked a door for a bar that had a US, UFC fight. $7 to come in that bar to drink their beer while paying for it mm. and watch a TV. Yeah. I think they ca- they got like 100 plus people in there. Yeah. I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah. People want to see people's faces get bashed in. I would love to bash in a face or two, but I can't. I, I It frustrated me. As, 
as a promoter who struggles to get people in there, yeah, I'm like, hey, you got to be. You got to put extra security on those nights too, because you got two dudes fucking fighting each other, <laughs> like because they're watching it and they're all riled up. Well, they made a mistake because I was the security, <laughs> and I am not imposing. It was so stupid. Like, I mean, I was thankful for it because I got paid, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I'm walking out my my door and the, I had done a show for this guy before and he posted on Facebook. It's like, yeah, I need a need somebody to take money at the door. I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. And I got there and for four hours, everybody asked me, you can come inside and do this. I'm like, no, I'm good. Because like I would have been in the way of everybody yeah. and I'm outside. I listened to four hours worth of a podcast. Like I motored through a bunch of episodes and I wasn't talking to anybody and they brought me beer outside. I'm like, why would I leave? Yeah. Why would I go inside of this bar? It made no sense to me. But I was not going to stop a fight. No. Like, they could have fought me, and I'm like, all right. Yeah. Go for it. Mm. And I'll give my 75 bucks, and I'll be good. There's a great, uh, mentioning him, there's a great chip joke where he says that he's going to be the first person that was murdered, that the detective's going to be like, he's like, there's no defensive wounds. It actually looks like this guy helped. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, how would you describe your comedy? Um, very influenced by, uh, I really like Seinfeld a lot. I like joke structure. I like writing. I like a little bit of a misdirect, you know, the straight white man comedy. (laughs) Um, yeah, I just really like look up to people like that. I like, so for new comics, Joe List, Mark Norman, Sam Morrill, top three. Seinfeld is number one. Just those jokes where you just see something that's so like, you know, it was a show about nothing or whatever, but when you see something you know, like what's he, what was the thing that always made fun of? Him? What's the deal with that? You know, like that, yeah, yeah. I like that. I think that's funny because, like, in reality, a lot of us don't grow up with the best childhoods. We don't grow up, you know what I mean? Like in this whole, you know. And I grew up in a weird family where my mom was super um, uh, overprotective, and my dad was like a first generation immigrant. So put those two together, it's like, right. you know. So yeah, I just gravitated towards people who were like not looking at real issues and just poking fun at the little stuff. Cause that was what was funny to me. You know, I'm not going to do an abortion joke. You know what I mean? Like I don't need to be that guy. And so my comedy is basically like just me pointing out dumb stuff in life and like in, inanimate objects or something like that, you know, kind of deal. And it, it hits well. Like I, I, we've done a few mics together yeah. and I love the material. I like the, I like the juxtaposition between, you know, your, your mom and your dad. Yeah. I think it's like, I remember when I was young, uh, starting out, someone's like, oh, you kind of sound like Seinfeld. You kind of have the Mark Norman thing. You kind of have like that white guy. Da, 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 da. And it really bummed me out. And then at first, and then I was like listening to something. I think it was Tom Segura. And he said he really liked Chris Rock. And he was starting out in comedy. And some guy came to see him. And he was like, hey, man, I really, it was his friend. He was like, I really liked your set. I didn't understand how, ur- I didn't know you were so urban. And he was <laughs> like, what? And then he went back and he was like, oh, I guess I'm like influenced by, you know what I mean? So even if you look at his comedy today, it's sort of like that. You know what I mean? Like you you have something that you like and things like that. So yeah, mine's just like the, you know, whatever observation comic, like the great Jeff Foxworthy. He, he was basically an observation comic. Has anybody ever described you as kind of urban? <laughs> no. I, I was actually going to, I wanted to ask Kirk that on the thing. And I was like, dude, like you are obviously like a black man. Have you ever gone into like an urban room or whatever? You know what I mean? And he was like, yeah, it's like, I'm just a comic. You know what I mean? Like, but I understand where people see that. Like, it's got to be, you know, yeah, I don't know. It's it's funny that people have to describe their comedy, kind of. It seemed like years ago, people were just like, I'm a comic. Yeah. Like, stand up. Now it's like every version of it. it's like, oh, do you do this? Do you, you know, are you talking about your vagina and how you're a vegan or something like that? You know? Yeah. Dirty, clean, dark, silly. That's the other thing, too. You have to be like um, a sports, not sportscaster, like a news guy, too. Like Trevor Noah or like um, Hassan Minaj or something like that. There's like that where people are like, oh, he's such a great stand up. And I'm like, it's kind of just talking about the, the news, you know, <laughs> like, I don't yeah. like and, and those guys are, are fantastic. But like your level of acceptance for this guy, like your adoration is basically dependent on what news, what side he's on. Yeah. It's like, if you agree with what he's saying, oh, he's a fucking genius. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. That was my biggest thing is like, oh, and I would have friends still to this day and they'll like tell me something. And I'm like, yeah, John Oliver just said that. It's not an opinion. You know what I mean? Like, that's just like something, it's a joke. And if you really think about it. 
Well, when John Oliver says it, it's a fact. Yeah, pretty much. Then he just called the uh, Philly sports fans inhuman, in, inhuman or something like that. He is not wrong. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's just, okay. Yeah. I'll tell you my Philly story and then we'll wrap it up. But I went to a Phillies game. It was a Phillies Mets game. And I'm a big Mets fan. I don't know if you can see the background. But the Mets are getting killed. I think it was like 8-2. to two, And I'm in the bleachers. And the Phillies fans are letting me know it. And I'm like, all right, I get it, I get it. And there's a guy named Mike Hessman was up to bat. And there's two, two, uh, two runners on. Mike Hessman has the record for minor league home runs. He couldn't stick in the big leagues, but he was really good minor leaguer. Uh. So I looked at everybody. I'm like, this guy's going to hit a three-run homer right now. He did. <laughs> everybody in that section looked at me like, how the hell did you know that? I'm like, yeah. Mets still lost eight to five, but <laughs> I felt fucking great. I'll tell you this one quick. My dad, when he came here, I think the Raiders were the best team. So he was like bandwagon as a kid. So he's like, I'm, I'm a Raiders fan. So he's been a Raiders fan forever. Now I don't think he cares. I think he's like an Eagles fan. But um, he went with my brother. My brother became a Raiders fan. They go to an Eagles game. They're sitting there in like Raiders garb. The Raiders score a touchdown. And my dad's like, yeah. And the guy behind him taps him on the shoulder. And he's just like, hey, um, just so you know, like I'm a regular guy. I work five days a week in an office. On the weekends, I like to cut loose with my friends. And I'm a huge Eagles fan. I have more sense than the other guys around me. I grew up with them. They're crazy. If you keep doing that, I'm going to give you like one more until they start kicking your ass. And then I'm not going to, I'm not going to care anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And my dad was like, said he just like was in his coat like this every time they scored, like just terrified. He's going to go. That guy, that guy might be the nicest man ever to live in Philadelphia. Well, he was probably one beer in at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, that's awesome. Uh, hey, I appreciate being on the podcast, dude. Oh, thanks, man. This has been a lot of fun. Went fast. I've heard that a lot. So, <laughs> it's a recurring theme in my life, but thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> you got uh, you got social media you want to plug? Uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's at Jared, J-J-A-R-R-O-D, because for some reason there's other people out there who spelled their name stupid like that, like my parents decided, so I had to go with that one. And uh, just, yeah, listen to So Tell Us Podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify follow at David Feinberg. Yeah, that'd be great. Cool. All right. I'll talk to you in a bit. All right. See ya.